Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. Welcome friends! Today on Walk It Out, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things, adoption. Today's guest, Jason Weber, is the National Director of Foster Care Initiatives for CAFO. That stands for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Now, my husband John and I were blessed to meet Jason and his wife, Trisha when we first started attending Mosaic Church years ago, right after we moved to Little Rock in 2010. Jason and Trish were adopted parents of four kids from foster care back then, and we had just adopted Alyssa through a private adoption. Getting to know Jason and Trish was truly one of our first glimpses into what adopting from foster care could look like, and look where it got us. So maybe I should blame them. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But Jason's heart for adoption really comes through during our interview, and I love the story he shares about the first days of welcoming home their little babies, which you're just going to love that. Um, and how God really provided for them and met them during those days. And I remember the first days of bringing home our kids, completely overwhelmed, but in a different way. You're going to love Jason's story. But before I jump into this interview, I need to thank those of you who have been praying for this crazy season in the Goyer household. If you don't know what that's all about, I'll sum it up briefly. Now, on Thanksgiving, my grandma fell in her bedroom, and even though we had her checked out, It took weeks and lots of doctor visits and ER visits for us to finally figure out that she had a broken back. Yes, my poor grandma had been walking around for three weeks with a broken back. Not very well, by the way. Um, But then around the time of her fall, all the Goyers started getting sick. I suppose that's one thing I really didn't think about when we started adopting all these kids. They do grow to love each other and they learn to share everything. For us, that has meant sharing a lot of sickness. So far, we've had multiple colds, ear infections, bronchitis, a respiratory virus that hit nearly everyone, a 24-hour stomach bug, and within the last um, week, we've had kids with strep. And then just yesterday, my other child got a fever. We've just been going to the urgent care. I mean, they just know us when we walk in the door. Um, we went there yesterday with one of my daughters who had a fever, and I was thinking it was strep again because we had two other cases in the house. No, she tested positive for the flu. Are you kidding me? This poor child, she is just so miserable, and I'm hoping that the rest, praying the rest of us don't get it. So since I've been a- available for 24-7 care for grandma, we haven't left, left the house except to go to church, which means I know where my kids got this flu bug. So Side note, if your kids are sick, don't take them to church. (laughs) We love you. Jesus loves you. Stay home and tend to those little kids. So we've been cooped up, spreading love and germs with each other. And despite my best efforts, they continue to spread. But thankfully, most of the sickness has missed me. Thank you, Jesus. My uh, 17-year-old actually, Marie actually um, volunteers to go and 
help tend to the sick kids. She's like, mom, you can't go down. <laughs> so thankfully I have not been the one getting sick through all this. And also thankfully grandma is doing better and soon I'll be able to get some at home help through home helpers. And just as a side note, I want to thank you for everyone who's contributed to pay for her home health care through a GoFundMe page that my friend Sunny set up. Um, if you want more information about this, it's pinned to the top of my author page. It's just uh, author Trisha Goyer on Facebook. And I'm excited for February when the home help starts coming because I really would just love to get out of the house once in a while <laughs> and see that my grandma gets the care that she needs. Also, just because all these things happen in bunches, I'm also working on edits for my new nonfiction books. They'll be out in the fall, and I'll be sharing more details about that when it gets closer. But I appreciate all of you praying for focus and time as I finish that up. Yes, especially for time, <laughs> which I'm not getting too much these days. Yet even with all the chaos, I have a sense of inner peace. I started reading through the Bible on September 11th. Um, of 2017. I'm currently in Job. Yes, Job. Now, if you want to join me in my Bible reading, I have a link in the show notes on my blog. I would love for you to join me. We're, we started chronologically and we're reading uh, five chapters a day. But if you jump in now, if you read till next year at this time, you'll have read the Bible all the way through. We're almost in the Psalms. So if you want to wait and join us in the Psalms, that might be a little bit more encouraging than Job. Um, but in a strange way, I'm finding comfort reading through Job. One thing after another has happened since November, and I really feel as if there's a reason for all of this. Maybe it's because I have to learn to accept help, uh, which is hard. I'm usually the one who loves helping others, so it's hard asking and accepting help. I've been went back and forth for a couple days when Sunny offered to set up that GoFundMe page. Um, yes, we do need help financially with Grandma. We don't have an extra $1,300 a month to pay for at-home care for her. But it was hard for me saying, yes, put our need out there. I need help. Um, and maybe it's just learning to praise God even during the hard stuff, which actually is bringing me a lot of peace and joy. And so many times when I'm facing this hard stuff, I realize that God deserves to be praised no matter what I'm going through. So I just hum a little worship song. I don't have the best voice. So hum a little worship song to myself and just praise him in my heart. And maybe it's a boot camp of sorts to remind my adopted kids who've already faced so much trauma and rejection that I will continue to love them and serve them and not give up on them no matter how hard things get. This is a lesson that is really going deep into their souls. It's interesting that even in the midst of all the illnesses, my kids have asked me things like, Mom, would you still not trade me for anything? Or Mom, why do you put up with me in all the sickness? Or, Mommy, do you ever get tired of cleaning up all my puke? Sorry if that's too much information, but it, it just has surprised me that these questions have come up as I've helped them through all these sicknesses. Yet during this season, my words and my actions are a confirmation that I will never give up on these kids. When John and I signed our names on those adoption papers, it was similar to making a covenant in marriage, in sickness and in health, which really means we have to be prepared for the hard stuff in life like sickness. Why am I sharing all this? First, to ask for continued prayer. And second, because it ties back into what Jason has to share today. Parenting kids is hard, and bringing home adopted kids is also a challenge, but we can trust that God will help us and strengthen us for any challenge as it comes. Not before it comes, but right there, smack in the middle as you're putting on a back brace for your grandma or holding a puke bowl for one of your kids. As you hear from Jason, 
or as you know from John and I, we wouldn't trade our adopted kids for anything in the world. Also, parenting them has caused us to lean into Jesus like never before. Now, I hope that you'll enjoy this interview with Jason. I know that I was blessed, and I know that you will be too. Well, I have a very special guest today, and I actually met him and his wonderful wife at church. We had just moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and found this amazing church called Mosaic. And within a couple of weeks of us attending, um, our guest, my guest today, Jason, and his wife, Trish, invited us over for lunch, and we got to know them. And then not too long after, they moved away. So we're like, no, but it's, it's so, uh, it was wonderful to get to know them, and then I was able to reconnect with Trish a little bit. I'll, I'll share that in the show. But first, I want to welcome Jason Weber. And Jason, please just introduce yourself. So good to be with you, Trisha. Um, yeah, so uh, Trisha, uh, well, let me back up. My wife is also named Trisha. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Trisha Weber and I got married uh, 21 years ago. And we uh, went into inner city ministry, and um, a short time uh, after being in inner city ministry, it just became very clear to us um, that there were just so many kids that we'd worked with uh, in our neighborhood who had been touched by foster care at some point in their lives. And so uh, after a few years in ministry, we decided to become foster parents. And since then, uh, we foster parented for 10 years. We adopted our five kids out of foster care. Um, that journey has led us into doing, eventually doing what we're doing now, which is advocating uh, for kids around the country in foster care and doing that in a way that gets the church involved. Uh, in caring for kids. So that's that takes you to where we are now. Um, our five kids range in age from 17 down to eight. Um, and so it's crazy house. And you know a little bit about that. Absolutely. It's always a crazy house around here too. My kids are in the other room finishing them at homeschool. I'm like, okay, no one come in. I'm recording. So we'll see how it goes. They're supposed to be eating their pizza and um, doing their homework. So we'll see if that is actually <laughs> happening. Awesome. Oh, but I know one of the things um, that you shared, I have this little information form that I send out. And one of the things you shared is just how God really impacted your life through his word. And that's the whole um, point of my show, Walk It Out, is just how God takes his word and it speaks to our hearts. And then pretty soon we just feel like we have to obey and, and follow it. So tell me about your journey into really getting to know God through his word. Yeah, so I uh, grew up going to church uh, every week, um, but it really, uh, things really changed for me when my best friend in high school, we were just talking on the phone, and he happened to mention that he read one chapter of the Bible a night before he went to bed. And I thought, well, I'm a church guy. That sounds like a reasonable thing to do. Uh, maybe I ought to do that. And he uh, had started doing that in the book of Matthew, so that's what I started doing. And uh, honestly, I was I was blown away because uh, as I began to read through um, the Bible, one chapter a night. I, it wasn't very many nights before I couldn't stop. Like I couldn't, I would stay up late and I would keep reading and reading. And I quickly made my way through the New Testament. And the thing that was crazy about that time for me um, 
was that I would read things. For example, I would read the promises that Jesus uh, would make about prayer. And so I would think to myself, well, is that really true? And so I would go out the next day and I would pray for things. And in some cases, you know, crazy things. And God in his grace um, met me there and answered those prayer requests as, as maybe silly and frivolous as some of them were. But uh, it was a it was a way of him meeting me where I was at and showing me that he was in fact real, that, um, you know, that Christianity wasn't about church attendance. It was about a real relationship with a real person uh, who w- would respond to you, who would listen to you, and uh, who you could talk to. And I also just began to uh, notice, and this is the this was the thing that um, really struck me at that time was I was reading stuff and I was realizing just how applicable it was to how I was going to live life the next day, how I would treat people, how I would handle conflict, how I would um, respond to others uh, who who aren't kind. You know, all, all of those things, um, there were really practical instructions for that stuff. And I was like, I had no idea <laughs> that, that, um, that there was so much, I mean, uh, for lack of a better word, useful <laughs> uh, stuff that was um, helping me to, to live life. And so that's how my journey really um, launched in terms of a personal relationship with Jesus. And I just love that. And I love how God is just even, you know, in our young faith, he's like, okay, you prayed for that. (laughs) All right, we could we could do something with that. I mean, it's not like we have to be perfect, or even our prayers need to be the most, um, you know, caring about other people or whatever. I mean, God just meets us wherever we are. And I love how he did that with you at a young age. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely he absolutely did. I mean, I think back to some of those prayers, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, but, (laughs) but he absolutely met me there. And I know in college, um, you continue to grow and, and your faith grew. Tell us a little bit about those experiences in college. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so while I had a relationship with Jesus, when I arrived at college, I, I still um, was a little bit um, uncertain how to navigate a lot of things, right? So, um, so I kind of started out and doing some of the normal things that uh, college students sometimes do when they get to college. and um, But I also had encountered uh, a man named Michael who uh, began uh, visiting with me and talking with me a little bit, inviting me to come to a Bible study. And, um, and it was through that Bible study that I began to um, really learn what it would look like to absolutely surrender every area of my life uh, over to God. And uh, and that was a little bit of a new concept for me, because um, I would have said, and I and it would have been it would have been true. I was a, a Christian, I was a follower of Christ, but um, but I was also uh, there was a there was a segmenting of you know uh, what I wanted to do in life from uh, what God wanted me to do in life. Uh, <laughs> you know, both just long-term goals and, you know, career and all those things and, and then just daily decisions. Um, and, and so being in that Bible study and being around those guys really began to help me rethink, uh, what it really looks like to surrender your life to Christ. And so in my dorm room, uh, one night, 
I was feeling a ton of regret for some things that I'd been doing and um, and I was, uh, you know, in tears. And I, and I told God at that point, I said, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, from here on out, I'm in, I'm going, I'll, I'll do whatever. And, uh, and it was uh, at that point that things um, took off in, a, in just a much different way. Um, and I began to understand uh, the li- a life of faith and, 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 and a relationship with Jesus in a way that was just even deeper than I could have ever imagined. Um, and that also showed itself in in terms of relationships. I began to find uh, a depth in relationships that I hadn't uh, previously encountered uh, to that degree as well. And it was all because of those relationships were, were, were tied together uh, through our relationship with Christ. Mm, I love that so much. Is that around the time that you met Trisha too? It is. And she is one of those uh, relationships, um, <laughs> you know, and, and just uh, having the opportunity to watch, you know, I, I've always struggled with uh, <laughs> uh, the, 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 move, the What Would Jesus Do movement, um, the, the, the WWJD, like I'm glad that that really uh, helps people to um, know what to do next. Um, but what what I always longed for, um, I, I always longed to know um, what would Jesus do in the form of a of another person, right? What would Jesus do inside of a of a person that lived in the the time and the culture and the circumstances that I lived in? That was always m- my struggle, and so um, getting the opportunity to encounter um, people like Trisha and others. Um, who I got to see, oh, this is what it looks like to watch my, uh, my mentor. Um, oh, this is what, you know, it looks like to, to do this in marriage or, you know, to do this in your family. Um, those kinds of things, um, had a, just a dramatic, uh, impact on my life. So yes, I wanted to know what would Jesus do, but I always, what I really wanted to know is what would Jesus do inside of you? What does that look like? And what did that look like for you? And for, I know you and Trisha got married. What did that look like for you together with her? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, to begin with, it, it looked like a a completely different way of approaching relationship, right? Um, it uh, When we first started dating, it no longer was about, um, you know, what uh, what can this person do to... Um, to to meet my needs or to fill fulfill uh, me, it was now about hey, is this is this a relationship that we feel like God can use to do the things that He wants to do on Earth, right? And our our commitment in dating was hey, we will stay together as long as that seems to continue to be true that we are making a bigger impact for His kingdom together than not, right? And so. Um, and so that led us through, you know, a few years of dating through college, and um, and then we got engaged and got married. Uh, we we married six days after graduation. We said we wanted to graduate, so we waited a six six whole days uh, after graduating from college to get married. But that was um, that was the deal for us: is we wanted um, a relationship where we were making a bigger impact for His kingdom together than we could by ourselves. I love that. And when did foster care come into the picture with both of you? Yeah, so we went into inner city ministry, and uh, we we uh, moved into an inner city neighborhood in Denver. And 
um, we worked with a lot of kids, and over half the kids that we worked with um, on a regular basis had been touched by foster care at some point in their lives. So maybe some of them had gone into foster care, had come back home to their biological families. Maybe some went into foster care and stayed uh, and were currently in a foster home or a group home. Um, and so our journey into foster care was a little bit different in some ways because uh, for a lot of people, they enter foster care uh, through the doorway of the children first, right? That their relationship with the kids is kind of the primary relationships they have. But but we were also, uh, you know, we were entering in through this doorway of the bio families um, as well, the, the families of the kids going into foster care. And we were seeing the struggles there and the difficulties there. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's easy in foster care to see uh, the whole point of the system is take kids out of bad families and put them into good ones. Um, and we definitely, you know, saw dysfunction in the families where these kids were coming from, but we didn't see them as bad families, right? These were our neighbors. These were our friends. Um, and yes, they'd made some poor choices. Yes, they uh, had some things they were dealing with largely because of what they grew up in uh, and the environments they grew up in. And so we um, just had a tremendous understanding or compassion for uh, the families as well. And so that's always been something we, you know, I, I'm grateful for, for that experience because we've taken that into foster care is um, it's not just about the kids. It's about their parents as well, who often grew up in foster care uh, or spent time in foster care or should have spent time in foster care themselves. And so it's about loving them. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. You know, we going to inner city um, Mosaic Church. I mean, uh, John and I, we come from rural Montana. We, I grew up in Northern California, was which was sort of rural area too. And I just remember moving down to Little Rock. It was just a completely different world. And I've been doing our teen mom support group for almost 10 years when I started in Little Rock. And all of a sudden, I learned about the foster care system. I hadn't known really anyone in foster care, hadn't been around it. Some of our girls um, from our teen mom support group had grown up in foster care and aged out and then very quickly were pregnant and trying to, you know, maneuver and handle all these things um, with no family or they'd returned and made connections again with their biological family, which was a lot of problems. Um, one of our first years, one of our girls had her kids in foster care. And so we were helping her find some stability so she could um, get her kids back, which she eventually did. And, and then of course we, you know, heard about all the needs of kids in foster care that needed adoption. But I just know, like you, um, once you start meeting people and connecting with people, it isn't just a black and white thing anymore. It isn't just, okay, let's help these kids. Um, but it's seen all the different aspects of that. And, um, you know, really, I'm, I'm so thankful that God took John and I out of our comfort zone so we could see that. And it sounds like he did the same with you and Trisha too. Yeah, it's incredibly complex, and we want to we we want to look at these things and and um, and see them as simply as possible because it helps us to digest them. It helps us to feel like we have answers to, and can and solve can solve those problems. But um, the reality is, it, it's it's very difficult. And I think the sign of truly being able to understand something is to be able to understand the the tensions in it, right? To, to, to not have pat answers for things, to understand that this is incredibly complex, that there are, um, there, there is both this incredible value on the safety and well-being of this child, and yet there is um, this uh, difficult tension with um, 
the redemption of their parents and that that is something that God is very, very passionate about and he wants us to be passionate about as well. I love that. Now tell me about your first placement because I don't think it's what neither you or Trisha really expected. <laughs> yeah, so well, when we got into foster care, we were 24 and 25 years old. We had had no uh, children to that point. And, uh, you know, for us, it wasn't a decision um, based on inter- infertility or anything like that. We, we actually just, we said, well, we know that um, we know that we're supposed to adopt uh, someday at some point. And we had, at that point, we had talked to a lot of uh, folks that were a lot older than us. And, and so many of them had said, you know, we always thought about adopting. We just never got around to it. And maybe maybe it was or maybe it wasn't, you know, um, God's plan or desire for them to, to do that. But we knew for sure that it was His plan and desire for us to adopt. And so we said, well, let's not mess around with um, the possibility that we could get to the end of our lives and go, well, we never got around to it. Let's just go ahead and start there and make sure that <laughs> we obey that directive that we're sure uh, that He's given us. And so before pursuing uh, biological kids, we decided to enter as foster parents. And so we went through the process and, and we got a, um, uh, you know, all the paperwork and, and one of the forms that you fill out when you do foster care or adoption, it it basically is a list of, of things that may be true of a child who would come into your home. And you have to go through that list and you have to indicate whether you might be willing to take them. Uh, you would not be willing or able to do that or whether you, you know, you might consider it, right? And so it'd be things like, uh, would you be willing to take a child who is hearing impaired? Yes, no, or might consider. Would you be willing to take a child who's been severely physically abused? Yes, no, or might consider. Well, I don't remember a lot of the things that we filled out in that form, but I do know for sure there were two things we definitely said. One of them was we would only we could only do one at a time. We'd never parented before. We really didn't know what we were doing, and one at a time seems reasonable, uh, right? And uh, <laughs> um, and then the other thing we said is um, we uh, we don't think we can do major medical needs, and it didn't even really cross our minds that we would put that we could do that. That to us was something that people did who had some kind of medical background. Maybe they were a physical therapist. Maybe they were a nurse, you know, medical needs that, you know, that wouldn't be safe for us to do that. Right. And so we said, uh, no, we probably couldn't do that. So, uh, so we get a call from our social worker after getting approved and she said, so we've got this preemie set of twins. (laughs) In the hospital. They were born 10 weeks early. Uh, one of them had open heart surgery at 11 days old and almost died, but she survived. They're going to be on oxygen for up to 18 months, and they might have cerebral palsy, but we won't know that for sure, and they won't diagnose that until they're two years old. What do you think? Now, first of all, we thought, obviously, you didn't read our paperwork. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they read anyone's paperwork. <laughs> I haven't met one person who got kids according to their paperwork. <laughs> well, and the reality for workers is, is they are they need to find homes for kids, right? And and fitting them into everybody's preferences. Uh, if they did that, they would, and they only did that, they would never find homes for so many kids that need them. Um, but so we got that phone call, and we came off of that call saying, you know, I, I mean, I'm thinking, no, there's there's no way. 
um, we can do this. But uh, in talking to Trisha, she was like, um, well, you know, maybe we could just go down and meet them. And you know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so the the interesting thing, too, about the way we chose to do foster care, um, which is – and so some may be wondering, well, it's foster care, right? So it's not like, you know, like the, if they had cerebral palsy, it's not like it's a permanent decision. Well, for us, it, it potentially was because what we said about uh, our entrance into foster care is we're going to be 100% committed to two things. Uh, and they, there are two things, like I mentioned before, entering into this space is complex and, and you've got to hold a, a lot of things that don't seem to go together, but you've got to hold those things in tension. So what we said, we're going to be committed to 100% to uh, reunifying any child that comes into our family with their family. If we can be a part of safely getting kids back to their biological family, we're going to do whatever that takes. Um, and so that was one commitment we had. And then on the other side of that, we were a hundred percent committed to adopting if a child became available for adoption that came into our home. What we kept seeing over and over again was kids who would go into foster care and then would have to leave that placement for another placement or would have to leave that placement for an adoptive placement. And we said, Hey, we can actually be a part of making sure that's not a reality for at least or at least a kid in our minds and um, in God's mind, uh, at least two kids. Uh, And so that they don't have to go from a foster family to an adoptive family and make that transition. They can be in the same place the whole time. So we were hundred percent committed to both of those things. Um, So when we were saying yes, we were considering, Hey, these, these girls might have cerebral palsy for the rest of their lives. Are we, when we say yes to them now, we are potentially saying yes to them for a lifetime. And so, well, we did go down to the hospital, and uh, we did go into the neonatal intensive care unit, which I'd never been in before in my life, uh, and I just couldn't believe walking past incubator after incubator after, you know, filled with baby after baby who um, who look, just looked so sick. And then um, we go into this, the end of the unit, and there was this kind of separate room because these girls had been in there comparatively forever. They'd been in there three months, which is a really long time for them to be uh, there. And so we went into um, this room and there was a giant crib uh, with two babies in the middle with tubes and cords everywhere. And the machines are beeping and taunting me. And uh, they were, and, and I'm looking at these beautiful babies and I'm thinking, Lord, there's no way I'm equipped to do this. And, you know, very much the same thing that the Lord has spoken uh, to me and not an audible voice, but just made it very clear to me over time when we, you know, I grew up in a, uh, in a farming community as well. And when it became clear that we were supposed to move into the inner city, um, I got this very same sense and, I, and it came again at this moment. And it was this, Jason, it doesn't really matter what you feel equipped to do if I call you to do something I'll equip you to do it. And so with that, we, um, we, we said, yes, we did the crash course and how to change out oxygen tubes and, um, you know, all of the equipment and all of this stuff and what to do when the baby starts to turn blue. And we, we, we got the crash course over the next two days and we, we took them home, uh, scared out of our minds. 
Um, <laughs> I was wondering oh, about that drive home well, it was, with two it was, Oh, it was the worst. The I mean, w- you know, first of all, we were never planning on having two, so we had to go get you know two strollers and two car seats. And and and, and in fact, we uh, I was putting together the stroller on the way to the hospital um, in the Domino's parking lot. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, but we got them in the car and the alarms indicating that their oxygen, you know, had come out, um, started beeping at us. And, and we're on our way home. And we only lived like, I don't know, seven or eight minutes from the hospital, uh, maybe 10. And, but we're, we're like, okay, what do we do? Like their oxygen's obviously fine. It's in their nose, but the thing's beeping. Are they, are they dying? Like, do we need to take them back? Like what's, <laughs> what's going on? Oh so we, we were really, um, it was it was frightening, uh, but and they survived. They, they did. They did. And you know what's interesting is as we look at the months following that. I mean, we were doing crazy things um, those first few months. We were having to. They would uh, when they slept. They often took the oxygen out of their nose, the tube, and so the alarm that was attached to their foot would go off, telling us their oxygen level was low. And the thing about these girls is they would start to turn blue within about ten seconds. And so we couldn't risk uh, not hearing the alarm. So we, we slept on their floor. Um, we, we were getting up uh, a number of times at night. In fact, w- one time we decided, hey, let's, let's, it seemed like it was getting less. And we thought, well, maybe we could maybe get back to our bed, right? And so maybe we're not getting up that much anymore because it seems like it's slowed down. Let's count. So we just, we agreed that that night we would each count how many times we each got up to check the, you know, when the alarm went off and check on their oxygen, because sometimes the alarms went off because their oxygen was out. Most of the time the alarms went off because they wiggled their foot, they moved or they changed their mind. I mean, these things went off, you know, for a number of different reasons. Um, And we got up the next morning and I looked at Trisha. She looked at me. I said, how many times did you get up? She's like, I have no idea. She, <laughs> I said the same thing. We had no idea. So the next night we put uh, Cheerios out and we put a, one Cheerio in a bowl every time we walked into the, you know, walked, walked over to, um, to check them. And, uh, and the next morning we woke up and keep in mind, this is after things had slowed down a bit. We, we had 28 Cheerios in the bowl. Oh wow! And and I and I share that to say um, th- that's crazy, right? That's impossible. That that, that and how did you survive w- that? Yeah. And, and and the bottom line is, w- we didn't. We didn't do it alone. That what God mm-hmm. promised in that hospital, standing at the side of that crib, uh, was true. That I will whatever I call you to do, I will equip you to do it. And not only. Um, did he equip us to to survive it and just kind of tolerate it or get by? We actually thrived during that time. I mean, we would look back at that time in our marriage and say, that is the sweetest time of our marriage. Us, we were holed up in our house. We couldn't go anywhere um, because they couldn't even be exposed to a minor respiratory virus because it could kill them. So we were holed up in our house with these two babies getting up 28 times a night. And it was the sweetest time we've ever had in our marriage because God was there with us, equipping us to do what he called us to do. And they're absolutely beautiful teen girls now. And the super fun thing was John and I went on a cruise in February and Trish and the girls were on the same ship as us. So we got to have dinner with them and spend time with them. And so that was so much fun. We, you know, I think 
we had met them when they were eight or nine. And then just to see, just just blossomed into such beautiful young women. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. And, um, uh, such a, a blessing to us. And it is amazing to watch, uh, what God has done in their lives. They're, you know, they were, they were born fighters and, and, uh, and they uh, have done incredibly well. And then afterwards, uh, God, God brought more children um, into the mix. And so you mentioned their ages before, but can you do the boy, girl, and their ages <laughs> well, again? So we've got four girls and one boy. So it's the, the twins that are 17, and we've got a 12-year-old uh, girl in seventh grade, and then a uh, nine-year-old boy, eight-year-old girl. So our nine-year-old is the only man-child. <laughs> Yeah, we have we adopted uh, six girls, and then the boy is seven. He's the youngest, so he has him, and then six older sisters still at home who he's homeschooling with and spending all his time with. He keeps telling us we need to adopt a brother for him. Like our kids now, just think you could just go get more kids. Like <laughs> I want a brother, or I want someone my age. And so, like, let's just go get. I'm like, we have seven at home. We're, st- I think, our we're full yeah. for now. Yep. So um, that's right. Uh, but what have you learned? Uh, you know, we definitely talked about just the faith and following God. Um, but with each kid, I know you, you know, learn different things. But how would you sum up t- your total experience of what God has done in your heart as you have brought these kids into your home and made them part of your forever well, family? One is, is it is recognizing, I mean, sometimes... Uh, our faith grows through practice, right? We, it's, uh, we exercise that muscle. We see, we watch God show up over and over and over again. We get afraid that He's not going to, and then yet He does. So on one hand, there's there's that, and that sounds, you know, that's all that's really great, right? But then there's the really hard side of things, and I think, um, I think that's yeah. the thing uh, that um, is really important to understand, right? Is that we think. I think there's a part of us that really wants the Christian life to be about following Jesus and then um, to experience the blessings that come from that. And what we have to understand is that um, many, many times, most of the time, the blessings are come in the form of really difficult things. Right? When Jesus, uh, the, the the only promise he made about following him was that you would be uh, you'd be persecuted, <laughs> you'd suffer. You know, th- those are the those are the main promises that he made about following him, and and that can be true in in this space as well. You know, anytime you 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 bring someone into your life um, who is who's experienced trauma, who is broken, and, and in terms of who's broken, we all are, right? So, so you know, the difficulty that we might have, you know, going through life uh, with our kids is not just about their brokenness uh, and their past and their trauma, it's also about our own, right? And, and the intersection of that brokenness, and anybody who's been married for more than five minutes knows that, that that's a very real thing, right? Is that our brokenness intersects and it causes a mess, and it makes things really hard, and um, and that's part of the journey too. And that's part of the gift. That's part of the blessing. Um, that's part of where the growth comes from is the hard stuff. And so he's he has taught us that we should have no expectations of of you know like things are going to be really great. You know we've we've tried to faithfully serve you and do these things, and so things are going to just work out great and always be easy. No, that's that's not how it works. Um, but there's huge blessing in the hard stuff. Absolutely. You know, and there's times where 
um, you know, we have those wonderful days, which, you know, everyone's around the table and laughing. And then, you know, 10 <laughs> minutes later, everyone's fighting. And <laughs> there's a trauma trigger that causes one child to blow up. And, you know, there's been times when um, I've sat in the middle of the floor with girls raging around me and really thinking, God, is, is this really what you called me to? Like, this is hard stuff and just crying and just not knowing how to help and wanting to make everything better. But like they had a whole, you know, 11 to 14 years before even being in our home where things were hard. It's not like we could just make things better. And just to feel his spirit say, yes, this is, this is what I called you to. And I love how you said, you know, it's us, we're broken too. It's not like we are whole, complete, perfect people that are going to help these kids. And in fact, it's revealed some of my brokenness that I've had to go and had you know, confess to God and, and turn to him. And it is, it's the transforming of me as I help in love and serve God and see little glimpses of transformation in the kids in the process, but it's not an easy thing. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. So I would love you to share a little bit about your work now and, um, and then just encourage, uh, maybe people are considering fostering and adopting, and what encouragement would you have for them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what I do now is I work for the Christian Alliance for Orphans uh, on our national foster care initiative. And the whole goal of, of what we're trying to do is uh, we get we, we have a number of member organizations that are part of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, over 190 member organizations, several hundred more churches uh, around the country. And um, many of those organizations uh, are involved specifically in U.S. foster care. And so our desire is to see those organizations work together to get more done together than we can ever get done individually. And at the end of the day, here's the deal with what we do. Um, we often talk about the vast numbers of kids in foster care in the United States, and there are. There are over 400,000 kids in foster care. Um, there, those numbers are going up. Um, because of the opioid crisis and, and other things. And so, um, and there are 100,000 of those 400,000 kids who are waiting right now to be adopted. Their parental rights have been terminated. They um, need a home. Um, and we, we focus on those numbers, right? Those are the numbers that get shared the most. But probably the, the numbers that are most important for anybody listening to this are, are absolutely not those numbers at all. Um, it's the numbers of kids in your own county. Um, because when we think about 400,000 kids and 100,000 kids waiting to be adopted, that's a problem that there isn't a single one of us that feels like we can make a significant dent in in that issue. But if you were to look at the numbers in your own county, um, I think you'd be surprised uh, that, yes, there's a lot of kids in foster care, and yes, there are a number of kids that need to be adopted. But if you were to compare those numbers to the number of churches, for example, in your county, uh, you would quickly see, hey, you know what? If we got a group of churches to begin to work together on this issue, uh, each church would have to to commit to raising up maybe two foster families and maybe one adoptive family. And we could actually be a part of providing more than enough. Now, that phrase more than enough is that's kind of our vision. Uh, We want to see churches working together in every county in the country providing more than enough for kids in foster care where they live. I think there is going to be a day, and I look forward to the day, when we look back at this time in history and we go, remember that time when we lived in a country where we had so many churches and so many Christians, and yet we still had all of these kids in foster care and all of these kids waiting uh, for families. Man, I'm really glad that we're not there anymore. I'm really glad that we got to this point where churches started working together in unity, partnering with 
local government and state government and providing more than enough for all of those kids, that there would be a time when there's no more waiting kids in our country. And that's not a pipe dream. That's not just blue sky. I really believe that's possible. Um, When you look at the numbers and you look at the number of churches, uh, it's possible. And that's what we're working toward. I love that. And when you get to know families and when you get to meet kids, I mean, that was what really encouraged John and I, um, you know, you hear all the kids have problems, which, you know, they do. I mean, all kids have problems and there are some challenges, but then you get to see them as kids, you know, you get to serve them in Sunday school and spend time with them. And they are just kids that need love. And I think that really encouraged us just being around families. And I love churches that get involved. I know um, we have a number of churches that are really having that initiative. And um, a couple years back at our church, we had a Christmas program and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the kids and I realized that 18 out of the 30 kids in that little kids choir up there were adopted. Wow. Um, And so, you know, that's here in our little mosaic church. Um, So a lot more is happening. And to see that like over half of the kids up there are adopted and, you know, one family gets to spend time with another family and pretty soon they were, you know, adopting one, two, three kids. And it's just amazing to see that it just gives us that, those, um, that assurance and makes us willing to take those steps of faith when we see other people around us doing it. So really surround your people and, you know, I would, I'm sure an adoptive family or foster family would love to have you come over and bring pizza and spend time with them and realize that, yes, there is hard stuff, but it is part of just welcoming kids into your family. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think one of the biggest favors you can do for yourself is put yourself in a position where you are learning the truth. You're learning the good, the bad, and the ugly. You want to know about at, you want to know about just how hard it can get and you want to know how good it can get. And um, I think both of those are really important because, you know, what, what what we don't want is for families to go in um, with, you know, sort of a, a Pollyanna view of, of what it's like. And, and then, you know, we see, see so many families who start foster care and they don't last very long. Now, oftentimes it's not because of the behavior of the kids. It's because of, you know, there's some difficult things about working in the context of a system um, where you don't have the power that you'd like to have. Decisions are made for you uh, and for the kids in your home that you don't always feel like are best. And, and that's a really difficult thing to navigate. But knowing all that going in makes all the difference in the world about your ability to stick with it uh, once you get into it. Um, so expectations are everything. And and I think there are a lot of, um, you know, now there are a number of great resources in terms of um, being able to learn more about that. You can, you know, certainly find some of those uh, at our website, which is cafo.org slash foster movement. That's cafo.org slash foster movement. And we have um, some different things. One of the things we have is called the foster journey. And it is just a you know, just a way to walk through um, and ask yourself some just some introspective questions uh, related to foster care and help you figure out where your heart's at and figure out if it's it's the kind of thing that that is for you. Mm, I love that so much. And then also just as we started the conversation, just going back to God's word and, um, you know, be Ryan being reminded that this is something that God asks us to do. And I remember John and I had gone through all the foster care training and um, we got a call about a placement of a little girl and a little boy. And we met them and because they had had a failed adoption and they'd been moved a lot, the the caseworker said, you know, we want you to consider them, but you have to like 
be fallen because they've been moved so much. Like, we, you know, they right. just really wanted that insurance. And so um, we met them and they were wild, crazy, all kinds of behavior issues. And But we said we would do it. But that night before we went to pick them up, I mean, we found out about them on a Monday. We met them on a Wednesday. We were supposed to take them home Thursday, which is not, not common, <laughs> but um, here we were. And that night, the day before we got him, I mean, neither one of us slept. We were tossing and turning and what are we doing and how are we going to handle this? I mean, kind of the same feelings of what are we going to do? And as John and I got up, we had been reading through the Bible. And it just so happened that that morning in our yearly Bible reading plan, we were on the first chapter of James, which we know says, you know, pure religion is this to care for the orphans and the widows. And that we both just started weeping because we knew, I mean, what a coincidence that that <laughs> happened to be the chapter we were reading the day we were going to go get the kids. But it was just a reminder to us that God was in this. It, he was asking us to do this. And um, now, you know, uh, they are seven and 10 years old. And, um, you know, there are there's still minor issues, but they've come such a long way. And we cannot imagine our lives without these kids. And so just, you know, going back to God's word again and just getting that confirmation, this is something that he's asking us to do as Christians. It's not like maybe if you have your house and your card paid for and you've gone on vacations and, you know, uh, you've, you've had all the comforts and now are interested in serving me, uh, consider adopting some kids. Instead, it's like, no, we, you know, do this, care for the orphans and the widows. And so um, I think it's something we all need to be prayerful about. Well, I, I agree. And I, and I think the other thing that I would say is I think there's probably a, um, a decent group of people who are listening to this right now who for the last few minutes, uh, you may have checked out just a little bit because we started <laughs> we started talking about um, bringing children into your home and, and you're, you're, you're thinking, I- I'm we're way full, right? And there's and I just don't feel like we're in a position uh, to do that for for whatever reason. And and so this is the part uh, where I want to invite you back into the conversation here because one of the things that I think we uh, have not done as good a job in the church as we could have done in, historically is when we bring up foster care and adoption and we make people feel like the only way that they can make a significant difference is to be foster parents or to adopt. And um and that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, there are kids right now in your community, likely in your neighborhood, who, you know, everybody has somebody who um, who needs them to speak up for them, right? And so there are kids right now in, in your neighborhood who have experienced foster care or who have been adopted or there's an adoptive family uh, in your church or foster family in your church. They need you to come around them. They need you to support them. There's foster families in your community who are ready to give up, and they will. Um, unless somebody comes around and gives them the support they need and helps them to get the breaks that they need and, and to get the encouragement that they need. There are kids right now uh, where you live who need um, somebody to advocate for them in court as a CASA or need somebody to mentor them. And, and you're that person. You could make a significant difference in their lives. Um, and it, it doesn't require a commitment as um, sort of life altering as fostering and adopting. Right. Um, and so that would be my encouragement uh, as well. Oh, I love that. And you know, I have to say, I'm so glad you added that on. And one of the most meaningful things was someone from church. I didn't even know them that well. They were an older couple. And it was probably a couple months after we brought our the sibling group of four girls into our home. And she came up 
and said, I know there are days that you probably are so overwhelmed that you just can't imagine cooking dinner. And so I got this for you. And she just gave us a card and it had some pizza gift cards in there. <laughs> and yeah. that was just so meaningful. I mean, I like I didn't even know her that well, but that she saw us and saw our need. And you can guarantee with that week, I used those <laughs> pizza cards because I was having a really hard day. Yeah. Um, but still, it just brings tears in my eyes to know that she saw and that she provided in that way. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it, and these aren't trivial things. They, they make a significant difference in the lives of the families that you do these things for. And it allows them to continue making the significant difference that they're making in the lives of the kids in their home. So mm, absolutely. Well, Jason, I just appreciated you being on um, my show today. And you have to tell Trisha and the girls and all the other kids that I said, hello. We will. Um, maybe, maybe next time on the cruise, you could be on there with Trisha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, like I, that. <laughs> <laughs> we just enjoyed that so much, just having that time to talk with her and the girls. And we'd always like, look, are they here in the dining room? Let's have dinner with them because we just enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Um, but tell them I said hi. And then again, would you give your website one more time where people can go for information? Yeah, it is uh, CAFO. It stands for Christian Alliance for Orphans. So CAFO.org slash foster movement. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason. And um, I just pray that this will just speak to people's hearts and I know it will. Thank you, Trisha. So good to be with you. Wow. Wasn't that a beautiful story of God's faithfulness? I just love Jason and his wife, Trish, and their beautiful kids. And I'm blessed every time I'm around their family. Maybe God will bring our past together again. Hey, maybe another cruise. I could really go for that right now. I also really appreciate how Jason brought the call for carrying orphans around for a circle, stating that even though not everyone is called to adopt, everyone can help and give in some way. I was blessed just last night when I got a text from my friend Jennifer asking what I needed. She said, what can I do? Can I babysit? Can I sit with grandma? Can I bring food? I love that. And yes, I took her up on the offer. See, I am learning to accept help. I'm also learning through all these challenges to understand my limits. This is something else that is really hard for me to do, which leads me to my next announcement. With this episode, I'll be ending season one of Walk It Out. And I'll start up again sometime in mid-February. It's just been so challenging trying to record with so much going on. I've had to cancel some wonderful interviews due to doctor visits and sick kids and tending to grandma. But I'm so excited with the when the sickness passes, I'll be so happy. And when backup help comes, which will really be a blessing. And then I'll have time to record again. So I know you'll be blessed with the wonderful and men and women in my lineup. They have some really, really amazing people that I know you'll appreciate. So thank you for your patience and understanding of this. And to end season one, I'm going to do a giveaway. I'll be giving away 20 of my books. Yes, 20 unique, different ones of my books. Um, Older ones, newer ones, just a fun variety of books. And I'll be having a raffle copter entry um, on on the show notes for this episode. So if you go to the show notes, you'll see the raffle copter there. And you'll be able to click on it and enter to win the whole collection of 20 books. Also, if Jason stirred within you a desire to adopt, I have a link of resources and interviews and blogs that I've done about adoption. So that link is also in the show notes. It's really great information that could help you on your journey. Also know you could always uh, message me at author Trisha Goyer 
on Facebook. It might take me a couple days, okay, maybe a week or two to get back to you, but I do want to be there to encourage you if uh, you're considering adoption. Also, because we're talking about adoption today, today's Walk It Out verse is James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I just love that verse. And as John and I have walked out that scripture, everything in our life has changed and we wouldn't have it any other way. As always, you can find more information about me on my website, which is just trishagoyer.com. And know you can find me on any social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under Trisha Goyer. And that's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R. Also this week, I won't be giving away one book for iTunes review because I'll be giving away the 20 books. So again, check that on the show notes. Oh, see, I already have a little child waking up. Um, so I'm just going to wrap it up here. So finally, friends, I'd appreciate it if you tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen. As you know, this podcast was sponsored by my book, Walk It Out, published by David C. Cook. David C. Cook is a nonprofit publisher spreading God's word in over 100 countries. So thank you again for tuning in. I'm going to go check on my little kids who are waking up, see how they're feeling today, making some breakfast. And I pray that you will be blessed as you love and serve those around you. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.